ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach, Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ba'elim Adonai Michamocha Nedar Ba'kodesh Nora Tehilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtacha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu letotafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Just wanna see you at your 
Welcome to our Erev Shabbat service here at B'nai Shalom. This Sabbath, our portion is Phineas. In the Hebrew, we pronounce it Pincus. And it's a portion that comes from the book of Numbers, and specifically from Numbers chapter 25, beginning at verse 10. Now, the story of Phineas was part of what was happening um, at the end of the last portion uh, last portion brought up the subject of what was going on. And what this is about is Phineas is the grandson of Aaron. He's, and he, it's kind of an interesting position. When God made Aaron and his son's priests, Phineas was alive as a grandson, but he wasn't old enough to be a priest. And so he was not yet in the position of being a priest because the promise that had been made by God was to Aaron, to his sons, and their descendants. And here we have Phineas in this unique position where he's alive, and so he's not part of the future descendants, and yet he is there associated with Aaron and the priesthood uh, in this activity. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that this portion tells us about, about this uh, Zimri and Cosby, this, this um, Simeonite man who decided to defy Moses and had, um, was associating himself with this princess from Midianite princess, which was the council of Balaam on how to destroy Israel. Send your daughters and your sons down to have festivals with theirs. And essentially, the young people, they will turn away from the teaching of Moses. They'll turn away from God. That's the way to destroy Israel. Don't come with an army. Destroy them and their faith system. Get them to turn away from Moses. This was a potentially deadly attack on Israel. This was the counsel of Balaam uh, that was given to Balak. On, and the Moabites on how to do this. And the Midianites all joined in in this, sending their... Well, Zimri, the Simeonite uh, young man, he decided to hook up with Cosby, this Midianite gal, and boldly announce that they weren't going to be following what Moses said anymore. And to make a display of it, uh, boldly announced publicly, this is outrageous behavior, uh, to take her and to attend and have conjugal relations with her, with the whole nation knowing about it. 
And so he made his declaration. He took her. He went into the tent. I, everybody, the, the sense we get from this is everybody was stunned. Nobody knew kind of what to do, except for this young fellow named Phineas, the grandson of Aaron. All of a sudden, he grabs a spear, and he runs in uh, to that tent and impales them on the tent. The two of them together impales them on the same spear and basically averted the plague that God had started to put on Israel for their rebellion and, and defiance. Uh, praise God, only 24,000 sons of Israel died as a result of this plague. They averted the whole nation dying. And we have this interesting story where Phineas is full of zeal that goes in, executes summary judgment upon, upon Zimri, the, the Simeonite man, and his girlfriend. And now we're left with a dilemma. Was this really appropriate for him to do this? Is it appropriate to make summary judgments and to go to extremes to do this? I mean, this is the Torah, which teaches us to follow court systems and due process and justice, justice you shall pursue. You have to provide witnesses and so forth. And, and that's what the Torah teaches. And here's this guy who all of a sudden on his own goes and does this. Now, nobody's saying, well, Zimri didn't deserve it. It's more of a question about, was Phineas right to have done this? And which presents a rather interesting quandary for all Bible-believing, godly people, because how can we justify this extreme behavior? I mentioned to you earlier that he's in a position where he isn't under the definition of a priest. He is the grandson of Aaron, but he's not in the position of being a priest at that moment. He is just a fellow citizen. And uh, so from the standpoint of the laws of the priesthood, he's not subject to those at that particular moment. So that's one answer to part of this question. The other has to do with this extreme behavior and how does, uh, how does God recognize that? Let me go ahead and just say something to you real quickly when we're dealing with the quandary. If God says it's okay, who of us is going to argue with that? What, what argument are we going to come? If God says it's okay and it's appropriate, who are we and what argument are we going to make against God with regard to that? Because if you're going to take issue with Phineas at this point, then you're going to have to take issue with God himself. I want to read to you in this portion, essentially, the, the, the words of God and this whole thing. Let me start at verse 10. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, in that he was very jealous for my name's sake among them, so that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say... Behold, I give unto him the co my covenant of peace, and it shall be unto him and to his seed after him in the covenant of everlasting priesthood, because he was jealous for his God, made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the man of Israel that was slain, who was slain with the Midianite woman, 
was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a father's house among the Simeonites. So it's very clear that God gave um, the okay to what Phineas did. We don't know this for sure, but by God using the language, he was jealous like I, the Lord, am jealous, and that he averted the judgment that was about to fall upon Egypt that I, God, was putting on, or excuse me, on Israel. Um, can we say that the Spirit of the Lord came up on Phineas and led him to do that? I think that's a pretty safe conclusion, that we could say the Spirit of the Lord came up on him to do that. And again, it goes back to if God commands a person to do something, and it is according to God's perfect will that he does it, who among us is going to question it? We are specifically instructed, and this is where Moses gives us this great example. If Moses has been anointed by God to do the things that he's doing, when Korah rises up, I don't care what his argument is, when Korah rises up to say to Moses, you take too much on yourself, and, and he disagrees with him, he's coming against God's anointed. There's no way you're going to win that. Let me take this another step further. If the Messiah, who's God's anointed, comes to us and men decide to take issue with him and to dispute the Messiah and disagree with him, do you think they're going to win? The answer is no and absolutely no. And oh, by the way, for a lot of people, when the day of the Lord comes— it will be a right and just thing that God will be doing, but for a lot of people, it's going to look like a summary judgment. They will, many of them will be caught unawares. Many of them will say, what, what happened here? I, I didn't get a fair shake here. I didn't get a chance to argue against it or answer to the charge. God just comes and, and judges the world. And oh, by the way, God is right. Just and true are your judgments, O Lord. And part of answering the question about Phineas being justified or being correct in this action, this extreme action that he took, is part of the answer comes to, if God says so, then that's the way it is. And that comes back to the sovereignty issue of God himself and what he can do. Now, there's one other place I want to point out to you that's rather fascinating in our scriptures, and it's in the Hebrew text when he specifically says, wherefore say, behold, verse, this is verse 12, I give unto him my covenant of peace. The word peace there is the Hebrew word, I'm sure you know it, shalom. And the third letter of shalom is a vav. It kind of goes uh, down and then straight down. But the scribes in this passage of Scripture, they draw it and they break it in the middle. So it's called the split vav or the broken vav. They don't make a full stroke down. They do partially and then pick it up afterwards. And so there's the question is, well, what are the scribes trying to indicate there? 
the best explanation that I have heard, you know, for this is <laughs> that Vav is the spear that Phineas used. And so when he impaled them, okay, you could see the top of the spear at the part, and you could see the bottom of the spear below them, but in the middle where it went through them, you couldn't see the spear anymore. And so when you look at the broken Vav, it's like the spear that you can see, but the part that's not is where Zimri and Cosby were at. And so it's, it, again, it's a symbol of zeal, a symbol of a very zealous effort. Um, and God equates this zeal, are you ready, with jealousy. Now, normally, when we think of the term of jealousy, that's not necessarily a really positive term. If you, if you see a, a young fellow over there where his girlfriend walks away and he says, well, I'm jealous, you know, whatever, you know, you would counsel him, oh, forget that, you know, don't be jealous, move on, you know, and so forth. Don't be jealous about this person or that person kind of thing. And we tend to regard that as a kind of a negative emotion. Not very wise for you to go around being jealous about things. But the reality is that if you have a relationship and there is commitment that have been made, it is appropriate for there to be jealousy. It is appropriate. And God himself defines himself as a jealous God. He says he is jealous for his people. And he's jealous of that his people would get involved with Balaam. And so that's the reason why he was angry. That's the reason why he was putting this judgment upon Israel. And when he saw that, that uh, Phineas had the same kind of zeal that he has, he saw him as being jealous of the same things that God is jealous for. And this was another one of the reasons why God agreed with Phineas and his action. And Phineas is honored in a very unique way. This covenant of peace that he received, where it says that this is for eternity, the covenant of peace, if you'll learn from the, from the prophet Isaiah and into the future, is the covenant that the Messiah is to bring to the world, to us, after the Messiah returns to the earth and establishes his thousand-year kingdom. Right now, we are enjoying six covenants of God, beginning with Adam all the way up to the new covenant. But there's one more covenant prophesied to be for mankind and God. That's called the covenant of peace. That's to be established in the messianic kingdom. That's to be established after the Messiah returns. Phineas was granted that covenant on that day. That was a very significant thing because that's the covenant that speaks to eternity. That's the covenant that speaks to after death and sin and righteousness, or excuse me, sin and iniquity and transgression has no more bearing whatsoever. That that was a decisive act, and he honored him with that. When we get to the kingdom and we get to have the covenant with peace, uh, with the Lord there, this will take on even greater significance for us. But let me assure you at this point that this is a very powerful statement that God made. And as a result, at that moment, 
we now declare Phineas became a priest. He didn't become a priest at the ordination of his father and grandfather. He became a priest at this moment. And God said that the priesthood with him and his descendants was for eternity uh, forward that go forward. Phineas, later on in his life, will eventually become high priest of Israel. As the extension goes down from Aaron to his father, it'll come down to him. And Phineas will be play a very important role into the future of Israel. In fact, one of the statements is, that is made about Phineas is he may have been um, one of the two spies that went in to um, 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 the city, the, the, the Jericho, the city of Jericho, and he went in and he was one of the two spies checking out Jericho before the children of Israel. He became a very famous and very significant man in the history of early Israel going into the land. And this was, I hate to say it, but it was kind of the springboard that brought him to prominence. Uh, in the history of Israel for it. All right, so with that said, what is the Haftor portion that would go with this? And to go there, we go to Jeremiah chapter 1. And the first couple of chapters of Jeremiah, um, actually, let me correct that. Uh, we are going to go... <laughs> to 1 Kings 8, 18. I'm getting my portions confused here. I got so many Torah portions and Haftal portions going through my heads, brother. Forgive me. We're going to go and hear about somebody else that is an extremist uh, like Phineas. So we're going to go and hear some more about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah definitely fits into the category of being this extreme person uh, that had a tremendous impact on the life of Israel. And that's the reason why we have uh, the story about Elijah here tied in with Phineas. The particular part of the story that we talk about Elijah is after um, he has been on um, Mount Carmel and he called down fire from heaven and uh, the, the sacrifice was burned up. And, uh, and the prophets of Baal were slain. That's a pretty bold, dramatic thing for Elijah to do. And essentially, he now is going to contend with Jezebel. And if Jezebel, if you'll remember, was the Phoenician woman that was the queen of Israel, married to the, cad, to the king, and she hated the God of Israel and anybody who believes in the God of Israel. And she had promoted the prophets of Baal, and that was her group, her religious group that was out on Mount Carmel that had just got wiped out. And now the rest of the, is, the, rest of the nation of Israel had seen a great sign from the one true God, the God of Israel, just as, as Elijah had done and had said, but she was not moved by it. She continued to defy and she made a vow to the effect that she was going to kill Elijah. Now, here we have an interesting situation because um, Elijah runs down off of Mount Carmel, runs down 
uh, outraces um, the king's chariot uh, running down the mountain only to discover that the word that when Jezebel gets the word, Jezebel is now threatening his life. And at that point, he's bugging out. All of a sudden, the man part of Elijah, the fearful part of Elijah, suddenly kicks in and takes over. And so we have these very extreme uh, things going on in, in Elijah's life. He stood up on Mount Carmel, called for fire to come down. Now that Jezebel's not going for it, he's afraid of Jezebel, and, and he runs off. And he proceeds to go south uh, into the nation. He goes all the way down into the area near Beersheba, you know, way all the way down to Hebron. He goes down in the areas where Abraham first was settled and the fathers first lived. And uh, when he gets down there, he's exhausted because he's, you know, been making this trip. And, and he's, he's ready to die. He thinks, oh, woe is me. You know, uh, you know, he's very depressed. You know, he, I think he thought certain other things were supposed to happen. Everybody, was, everybody in Israel was supposed to roll over after he did the fire from heaven thing. And they didn't. And so he's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Uh, oh, woe is me. They're, they're all after me. I'm, I'm all alone. You know, I'm, I'm in trouble. And so he's escaping with his life, or at least he thinks he is. And he proceeds to go down, and he gets to a certain point where he's completely exhausted. And he lays down, and he just tells God, okay, I'm ready to die. And the Lord sends an angel to him and brings him a piece of bread and some water to drink. And he says, eat this, drink this. So he does, and it revives him a little bit. But he's still pretty, pretty exhausted and the angel comes again, gives him another piece of bread and another drink, and he says, drink, drink this, eat this, continue your journey. Well, where does he go? He goes all the way down to Arabia to Mount Sinai, to the mountain that Moses was on when he got the Ten Commandments. And in fact, he goes up on the mountain. He goes in the very cave that Moses used to stay in when he was on the mountain. He's in the very cave you know, where it's at. And um, God then now begins to, uh, we're going to have another conversation with you, Elijah, from the Lord. And it goes something like this. He, he brings a series of things past this cave, you know, wind and storm and so forth, uh, just to kind of announce that God is in that place and that God, and, and Elijah's taking note of this, you know, that what's, what's happening. When all of a sudden he hears the voice of God, where I love this, where God then says to Elijah, says, what are you doing here? Now, God knows why he's there. He was scared half out of his wits. He's been running away. He thinks he's supposed to die pretty soon. And uh, essentially God talks to him and he says, no, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be up in the land of Israel again. You're supposed to be encouraging uh, the brethren. You're supposed to be doing what I want you to do. And he basically gives him a set of instructions of a couple of key things that he's supposed to go up and do to announce that a certain person will be made a king and a certain person will be in charge of this and so forth. And the way it's going to work out is that each one of those ones that he's doing, they're going to kind of eliminate each other. And, and, and Elijah is going to be part of the instrument 
that removes this leadership that is oppressing Israel. And, of course, there's this famous statement where God is encouraging Elijah to say, when he says, he complains, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. And, and God says, no, you're not. You're not the only one left. He said, there's 7,000 in Israel that have not bent their knee to Baal. There is still a remnant that belongs to me. It's just that you don't see him. You don't kind of know they're there, but they are there. Now, the, uh, any time that you, uh, and, and let's say spiritually, any time that you spiritually have come to accept certain truths about God and you try to go share them with someone else, you, whether you realize it or not, you are in that same mode like Phineas was. You're having to do something where you have a certain amount of zeal to do it. In other words, you have to be motivated to do this. And secondly, you're also like Elijah, where you've been commissioned by God to go and do certain things, to, to, to speak for the Lord in front of a group of people. It could be your family. Could be your friends. Could be your fellow churchmen. Could be your neighbors. It, whomever God has done. And you're to go, and, and let me just tell you what most people do. They're hesitant. They're trying to figure out how do I negotiate this, when in what they should be doing is using the examples we have here. If God wants you to have a voice into this, do it powerfully like Elijah did. Do it powerfully like Phineas did. Now, you're going to be scared. This is going to be kind of fearful for you. But if you're going to accomplish that which God wants you to do, then you have to have some of that zeal and some of that jealousy for the Lord, you know, to go forward. I get reports all the time. Brethren come up to me, they're moved into the, tra the transition in the Messianic movement. They have family members, blah, 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 all about it. And they're describing about how they're trying to reach out to different folks and so forth with regard to it. That's good, and that's wonderful. And oh, by the way, I'm not in that present situation. I'm not the one giving the Holy Spirit, um, you know, as to how that should be guided, how that person should approach them. But I can tell you this. From a biblical principle standpoint... If you're bold about your expression and making that your upfront part of it, that you're motivated strongly by the love of those people, that you believe this to be the truth, you believe this to be right and true, when you go and share that, that has, for the most part, the best results. People respect when, it's, when you believe it. When you do it, but if you're kind of milk toast about it, well, then you're giving them latitude to walk away and say no. My ministry, um, there's a lot of people that don't like me and haven't liked me in my Santa ministry. And the reason is because they didn't like the fact that I was so bold, I was direct, 
I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I wasn't trying to impress anybody. That, that's not at all where my motivation is. And that's the same thing with, with Elijah, and that's the same thing with Phineas. There it was no personal agenda. What they did was because God moved them to do it and because it was the right thing to do. And so I went out to share the Scripture and share the Word, and I can remember the days, honest folks, I can remember the days when I stood up and I said, you know, um, you should be keeping the Feast of the Lord and not Christmas and Easter. And the, the eyeballs on the people I was speaking to were that big, okay? When I started talking about the Torah is for all the brethren, it's for all believers, oh my gosh, you know, that, that even upset some of my, my own messianic Jewish brethren. They were like, oh, that's too much, you know. Yes, for the Jews, but no, no, not for the Gentiles, because we got all this dispensational theology. We're going to, you know, Monty, you are taking on dispensational theology. Do you realize that? Yes, I do. And I will tell you that part of the principle from Phineas part of the principle from Elijah. Those are the guiding principles where it appears to be extremist behavior, but it's really not. It's really just doing what God wants done. Now, others are going to regard it as extremists, and they're going to question whether or not you've done the right thing. To this day, people question whether Phineas did the right thing. To this day, we see what Elijah did, and we don't understand why he vacillated, but that he, you know, followed through and fulfilled what God wanted him to do. We're talking about real people, just like you and me. Just like you and me. God's in the business of working with all of us cracked on, on earthen vessels and he's putting the incredible substance of himself into us and having us pour him out to various people and to share our lives with various people. And that's our goal, and that's our ministry. So these stories about Elijah, about Phineas, is truly is about our faith and how do we carry out our faith. Now, I'm not suggesting you all go out and get your handy spear and if somebody disagrees with you on the faith, go and impale them. That's not at all what I'm talking about. You know, the principle is very clear here. All right, that's our portion for this week. Shabbat shalom to all of you. Shabbat shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, to chapter 2. Hold your finger at verse 13, where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and your instruction. Father, we, uh, as we dig into the Word this week, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, through the words on the page, and that you would minister to us in whatever's going on uh, in this week. And Father, just we pray that your word comes alive as it is powerful, as it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that it would uh, penetrate our hearts and minds this week and um, that we might learn more of your works and your ways. We bless you and we thank you for this time. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is the portion of Phineas. Uh, he is the man, he was the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron. He was Aaron's 
grandson, who is the man who did something incredibly bold to save the entire congregation of Israel. This is uh, one of those stories that um, is here coming to the end of the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness. We, they're approaching the end of the 40 years and are getting ready to go and cross over into the promised land. And there's this entire generation of, belief, of the children of Israel that had to pass away before they could enter into the land. It was the second generation that obviously went into the land. Now, as we're coming to the end of the book of Numbers, um, that's when the story is starting to get toward the end. And then Deuteronomy, of course, is the repetition of the law and the recounting of all the words and the stories and what happened during in the course of the wilderness. So this is one of those, another one of those times in which a rebellion uh, arose in the congregation of Israel. Um, Phineas, he gets the honor of his name being the name of this Torah portion. Now, there's only a few Torah portions that, that have the honor of somebody's name being named after it. Sometimes it's for good things like Jethro and Phineas. Sometimes it's for bad things like Balak and Korah, who also have Torah portions named after them. And so this is one of the cases in which Phineas uh, gets the honor of having his name recorded throughout the annals of, of the history of Israel for doing something incredibly brave, bold, and absolutely necessary for the salvation of the children of Israel. What happened there, of course, is that the daughters of Midian went and intermarried and intermingled with the sons of Israel. This was from the council of Balaam, which, you know, last week's portion, he was only able to bless the children of Israel. But of course, he told Balak, he said, look, if you really want to curse the children of Israel, here's what you got to do. You got to get them to curse themselves. So what you're going to do is you're going to send all the daughters of the Midianites and, and, and all these pagan worship practices, send the daughters in there, have them fornicate with those daughters and then they will curse themselves. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Children of Israel, not being able to control themselves, were basically uh, committing idolatry, adultery, um, you name it, that's what was going on. And so then there was a great plague that broke out amongst the children of Israel, so much so that at the end of all of this, 24,000 sons of Israel die. But it was put to, st it was stopped and it was halted by the actions of Phineas. What he did, of course, was he took a javelin, and when a son of uh, Israel, particularly one of the Simeonites, came and paraded his new wife in front of the entire congregation and, and paraded her, one of the daughters of Midian, right into his tent to consummate his new marriage in front of everyone, knowing that this was a great sin amongst the camp of Israel. Phineas, he grabs a javelin while everybody else is standing there shocked. He grabs a javelin, he goes running into that tent, and he puts a shish kebab through the two of them, killing them in the midst of whatever they were doing. And that is what was necessary to halt the plague and halt the sin that was going on in the camp of Israel. Phineas receives an incredible blessing from this in our Torah portion, which begins in Numbers chapter 25, uh, talks about how he is given the covenant of peace, something that is, is, is a blessing that's put upon him that is never, that's not really said about anybody else in all of scripture. And there's ties to this phrasing, the covenant of peace, with other uh, passages of scripture, namely Isaiah 54, uh, Ezekiel 34, and Ezekiel 37, that that phrase is mentioned in other times, knowing that there is some incredible blessing that comes upon Phineas, his family, his descendants, because of this action that he took place. 
What we want to look at here in the Brit Hadashah is that we want to look for parallels and passages that can encourage us and strengthen us in the same way and, and parallel the actions of what Phineas actually did. If you look up the traditional Brit Hadashah readings for this Torah portion, what you'll instead find is you'll find every reference um, uh, in the Brit Hadashah to any holiday, whether it's Passover, whether it's the Feast of Weeks, whether it's any of the, the celebrations or appointed times of the Lord, in, in the traditional readings for this Torah portion, it lists any time that some holiday is mentioned in the New Testament. This is because also in our Torah portion, which includes Numbers chapters 28 and 29, it goes over all of the commandments and sacrifices that take place on those holidays. So most of the traditional readings all tie to Numbers chapter 28 and 29. But because the Torah portion of Phineas is very much about his name, the story of Phineas, and that that story has such a such an impact and has such a visual, creates such a visual memory or a visual uh, imagination of what actually happened there. That is really the more impactful story that's from our Torah portion. So let's go to some New Testament passages that I believe tie into and relate to what Phineas did. So beginning here in John chapter 2 at verse 13, as I read this story of the Messiah going into the temple to cleanse the temple, you get the sense or, and you immediately see the similarities and the parallels between this story here and what Phineas had to do uh, back with the, in the wilderness with the children of Israel. So beginning here, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he, had, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then... He, his disciples, remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us, do you show us since you do these things? And Yeshua answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Yeshua had said. This is the story, of course, the overturning of the, of the money changers and the tables and, and making a cord and whipping people. And I always love uh, the, the pictures and the memes when it's talking about Yeshua and it's talking about Jesus. And it's all like, do what Jesus would do, um, which always is a phrase that we would say about showing love and compassion to our fellow brethren. But, of course, this story here is it's like, if you really want to say, well, what would Jesus do? It's all like, well... Jesus did form a whip and started whipping people and flipping tables. So that's not out of the realm of possibility if I'm going to do what Jesus did. And so that, it's one of those things where you see the righteous indignation of the Messiah being stirred up inside of him to do something that is bold, something that appears to be hostile or violent. And when you sort of get this picture, this idea, sometimes the Messiah that the, the Christian church might portray or that some believers will portray to you, it's like, oh, it's this, you know, loving, caring shepherd. And it's all like, no, 
the Messiah also did some things that were absolutely necessary for the sake of holiness, for the sake of his father's house. And these are the same things why a parent who spanks their child is not doing it because they have malice against their child. They're doing it because they love their child. And you might think, and some people actually have that idea or that mentality, like, oh, it's so violent and terrible to spank your child. No, when they are in need of discipline, these things are not out of the realm of possibility. You've got to remember the Messiah made a whip of cords and started whipping people to get, them out of the, to get them out of the temple who's selling things and turning the house of the Lord into a den of thieves, as some translations call it. And this is sometimes a necessary correction when it comes to what the children of Israel and what God's people need, what they need to hear, what they need to see knowing that you have to have this boldness to fix a problem. And when you see a problem, are you just going to stand by idly and do nothing? Or are you going to have the boldness to step out and to do something about it and to fix it? That's what Phineas had. Phineas absolutely had that boldness that was necessary to go in and stop a plague amongst the children of Israel, just like the Messiah had the boldness to come and cleanse the temple, to flip these tables, to dump out the money, to, to, to scatter the animals away so that the house of the Lord might be preserved, so that we are not mixing profane things with the work of the Lord, with the house of God. So the, so the parallel here is, is very clear, e- easy to draw um, from this story to the story of Phineas. Now, the thing that I want to draw out also in, in a couple more passages is talking about how we have, as believers, confidence in the Lord. You can definitely tell when it comes to Phineas. He, he was not lacking in confidence. He was not lacking in boldness to do what he feels like he had to do. In that situation, and that's one of the things as believers that I don't think that we should go around trying to be a modern-day Phineas. You know, it's like some of us might, you know, it's like, man, Phineas, I really admire him. I want to be Phineas. I want to take a spear and I want to stab a sinner. Like, mm, no, that might not necessarily be what your calling is. Uh, it's one of those things where, yes, if there is something that is dramatic going on and a plague breaking out of just complete sin, debauchery, or, or, or something along those lines, and no one else is doing anything, then Phineas had to do what he had to do. And it's like, I don't think that those are situations that we go and seek out. We don't find those situations. Now, maybe one day the Lord might put you in a situation for you to do something about, but that's not, it's not that we go out looking for trouble, looking to stab a sinner because we want to be Phineas. It's like, no, something very specific, a very specific blessing went upon Phineas, and this was a, a very critical juncture in the life of Israel and the children of Israel in the wilderness, that this is not something that you, you, you don't just end up saying like, I, you might say, I, I, I admire Phineas. But there is probably a very rare circumstance that there would ever, that the Lord would cause you, desiring to be like Phineas, that he would raise you up to be a modern-day Phineas. Let's not go looking for trouble, looking to uh, judge one another or to, to do these things, because th- these are the sort of things that we have to know that the Lord, his spirit is the one that causes all these things to happen. It's not the will of any man. See, that's the thing about Phineas. It was not by his own will that he did this. It was the spirit of, and, and this righteous indignation that stirred up inside of him that God put there. He didn't choose to be that guy, 
but God put it there. And this, of course, Phineas, being the grandson of Aaron, he was, uh, he, he was a younger man. He was not maybe one of the most well-known leaders of, of the camp. In fact, when the judgment came about not going into the uh, promised land, he was less than the age of 20 because their story continues with him into the book of Joshua that he was alive in the land. So that means he was younger than 20 when the spies came with the bad report. So he was one of that second generation that was able to go into the land. That's something else to keep in mind. If you were talking about somebody who's going to be a modern-day Phineas, it's going to be somebody who, it's going to come from a source that maybe you don't, uh, you might not think it would come from. Somebody who's younger, somebody who, somebody that's stirred inside his heart to do what's right in, in that moment while the older generation is the one doing all kinds of crazy things. It's somewhere in that younger generation that played the role of Phineas. So this is just something else that, you know, history does have a way of repeating itself. We'll have to see, you know, if the Lord is ever going to raise up another person or situation like Phineas in our modern times. But again, what I want to go back to is this, is this confidence that we as believers that we all need to have. If you would now turn with me to 2 Corinthians to chapter 5. This is talking about how that um, we need to have this, this confidence in the Lord um, in that we follow Him, that we walk by faith, not by sight. And this is a passage of Scripture that as I was looking and studying for more passages that might encourage us and strengthen us, uh, this is one, as I'm just flipping uh, through, this one stuck out to me. So I want to share this passage with you guys for this Brit Hadashah portion, for the portion of Phineas. Let's start with chapter 1 or sorry, verse 1 of chapter 5, and see what Paul is saying here. And it's interesting how there's even some of these literal parallels being talked about here that actually can tie to the story of Phineas as well. Verse 1, chapter 5, it says this, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we should, shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, this earthly physical tent, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also forgiven us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, this is talking about how we should have a desire to worship the Lord more. That we should desire to, to, to that, you know, these earthly things that are before us, that we have before us, is, is temporary, mortal. And if we truly have a desire to dwell with God, to worship God, we're, we're desiring for more. We're desiring to be clothed with spiritual things, living in a, in a house or a tent that is not made with hands, but is prepared for us by God. And so then it's talking about how, you know, but yes, we are sitting here in our tent and that we are in our physical tent surrounded with mortality and that we, if we have a desire to follow the Lord, we're, we're seeking after greater things. I think it's interesting talking about this tent, talking about being, being clothed, and that if we go the other way, if we instead are satisfied with the earthly tent that we have, then we're satisfied with our earthly possessions and the things that we have here, and we have no desire to seek for anything else. And see, when you're talking about the sin of the children of Israel, 
when you're talking about any sin that they ever got caught up in, whether that's sexual immorality, whether it's caught up in rebellion or greed or, or whatever, they're always, all of those things are always driven by earthly possessions, earthly power, earthly uh, uh, desires, worldly desires. That's what those things are driven by. In the case of Zimri, the son of Israel, who married, who, who is, who's parading his Midian wife, Midianite, Princess uh, Cosby, and, and doing this. He clearly, all he's focused on is what is earthly and worldly and what is before him. And he is satisfied with his tent as it is, with no desire for something that's greater. And that it's like, no, and he found himself, and that dude died naked. Literally died naked because of his worldly desires, not seeking anything out greater then, or, or, or doing what was right because God is the one who had brought him there. And so these are things that we need to be mindful as being believers. We're seeking after something greater. We cannot get caught up in these worldly, temporary, mortal temptations that get into our minds and fill our hearts, and that's how we get caught up in these rebellions. Verse 6, it says this, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. See, this is what we're doing. It's like whatever happens in, our, in, the, in the physical world here, in the mortal world, we know that we are here and we are separate from the Lord. Instead, what we do, we walk by faith, not by what we can physically see. And so that every action that we take is with the mindset of that we are in the presence of God. What would we do if we were in the presence of God at all times? This is kind of, this is another one of those little phrases. Instead of saying, what would Jesus do or what would Yeshua do? It's like, no, what would you do if the Lord was standing with you right here, right now, right next to you? What would you do? Would you be found amongst a den of sinners? Would you be partaking in all of these different things? And it's like, no, if the Lord was standing right here, and if he looked over at me and he says, so what are you going to do about it? Well, that's what Phineas, that's, that maybe is the imaginary conversation that Phineas had with the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Phineas is standing there, all of the sin's going on, and the Lord you know, if he's speaking to, to Phineas or, or having a conversation in his heart and he says, is this the camp of the Lord? The Lord's presence is here with us in this camp. And the Lord, you know, we, we know the Lord has the power to strike all these men dead. In fact, a plague is starting to break out and it's like, but this plague is spreading. It's like, that's what the Lord's going to do. And then the Lord might be looking over Phineas and be like, hey, is anybody else going to do anything about this? And Phineas, with all the confidence, says, it's like, you know what? The presence of the Lord is here. I am not, I, I'm walking by faith. Now, by sight, I might be like, man, I, I don't know if I ever would pick up a javelin and go stab one of my fellow brethren. But Phineas, he, knowing that it was about the presence of the Lord, it was about holiness, did what he did. Not by physical ideas did he do these things. But he had, most definitely, confidence in him being a believer in God. Verse 9, let's continue on. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. This is, I love that word aim when you say there, therefore we take our aim. Aim is something that is very intentional. It's what you intended to do, and if you have good aim, then you achieve the goal that you're trying to accomplish. I guarantee you that Phineas, what he did was very surgical, very intentional. The two people that he went after, the, this leader amongst the, the children of Israel from the tribe of Simeon, that it was a very surgical strike that ceased the plague. It was, he knew exactly what he was doing and that it would be well-pleasing to God to do what he did. Now, that's the problem with anybody else that might want to be a modern-day Phineas and they want to start you know, pointing out the judgment and pour out judgment upon other sinners. They would take a javelin and they'd just kind of hurl it in the general direction of where sinners would be. And you don't know who you might hit if you were to hurl a javelin into a group of sinners. You might hit someone who's innocent. You might hit somebody who is, who, who, who's like collateral damage and you won't strike against the one who is truly committing the sin if you decide to throw a javelin amongst the brethren. Phineas did not hurl the javelin. I mean, he went in with it. He did not let it go and he knew exactly what he was doing. His aim was true for what he needed to do in that situation. And that, again, everyone, this passage is continuing on, everyone has to give an account to the Lord, whether good or bad. What you've done in the world, you have to give an account to those things. And so you have to have good conscience that you are doing what's right before the Lord. Again, this is like, okay, if you're timid, if you don't have the confidence, you might say, oh, it's like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right. I'm gonna, I really want to pray for this person, but I don't know. I might pray wrong or I might do this, or I really want to say this to encourage somebody or, or somebody asked me about uh, being messianic in the grocery store. Am I going to have the boldness or confidence to talk to him about that? Or am I going to eh, kind of shy away from it? And it's like, this is the sort of thing where anytime you put yourself in that position, you want to be able to say, I have the confidence to do it. I would do what the Lord wants me to do in that situation instead of that timidness. Knowing, look, if I say something wrong, if I make a mistake, if I, if I, if I don't say the right things, you know, yeah, you know what, I'll have to answer for that and I'll, I'll accept the fact that I, I made that mistake. I'll take the good with the bad, knowing I have to give an account to the Lord. But as a believer, we should have the confidence to do what is right. That's the thing that we can learn from Phineas. Now, maybe we can't have that much confidence or that much boldness, but we can at least aspire to be more confident in whatever actions we take with our fellow believers or with people who are unbelievers, people who are caught up in their sin. And how you as a believer, how are you going to minister to them? How are you going to pull them up out of the pit that they've fallen in or the pattern of sin that they've fallen into? And sometimes it might take compassion and love. Sometimes it takes boldness. And you got you to gotta jump in there and get your hands dirty. I believe you me, when Phineas walked out of that tent, he was dirty. He was covered in blood for what he just did. But, and it was quite a sight, quite a shock. But according to scripture, there's no question what Phineas did was right in the eyes of the Lord. That is what you have to do. Maybe not to that level, but sometimes you got to get your hands dirty and you got to have that confidence, that boldness to do what you have to do. 
Let me finish out reading uh, 2 Corinthians 5 so we can just get the whole story of this passage here uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing for us. Uh, now at verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, and those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all, the, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Yeshua Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespass to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is, uh, I love this passage of scripture. I love this whole idea that it's like that it, God is putting these things and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. This is exactly what many believers, this is what he really calls a lot of believers to do, to reconcile between the things of the world and the things of God, to reconcile between sin and death so that that person might be changed and might come into a community or discussion or, or that they can be reconciled, even though they've sinned and walked away from God, they can be reconciled to God. Their sins may be forgiven so that they can then be in covenant with God once again. This is what the work of all believers are. Now, Phineas absolutely did the work and the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled the sin that was amongst the children of Israel in a very violent way. And so, however, so in the same vein, we all are called to this ministry of reconciliation between the world and with God. We are now ambassadors of the Messiah. We represent him. We represent what God would do. Now, the one time Messiah flips some tables, and if there calls for it, then we might do that, and we might do that job for the Lord in some situation. But in other times, in other situations, what he actually went to is he went and he ministered to the poor. He ministered to the Samaritans. He healed people. He cast out demons. He did all of these other works in the course of his ministry. And that if we are to act, we act on his behalf as ambassadors. We don't boast because of what we do because of what we did. Phineas, I guarantee you, through the, uh, uh, would hope, now we don't have a whole lot of detail on there, but he didn't come in and Phineas be this guy that's like, yep, I'm the guy that fixed it. I'm the guy that stopped that plague. Now, other people might have said that about him. I guarantee you, Phineas, he, was, he rose in the ranks as far as respect and honor from amongst the children of Israel when he did what he did. This thing that he did so boldly to save the children of Israel. 
And other people boasted for him. God boasted for him, giving him the covenant of peace and all these things. He doesn't have to boast for himself. Same with us. We don't boast for ourselves. We simply represent God and what he does. God will raise us up. God will exalt us in due time when we have done something that is worthy of being exalted by God. We must take the humble approach, humble ourselves in all of these things so that, so that we truly are the proper representation of the Messiah and what God has called us to do so that we work in the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we should aspire to. Turn with me now to Ephesians, to the end of the book, uh, to chapter 6. Uh, there's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the armor of God, this passage uh, that um, many of us are familiar with, but there's an interesting connection to Phineas that maybe you, you've never noticed before. But again, it has to do once again with this, uh, with this boldness that Phineas had. Because if you think about it, Phineas, the, the, the javelin, the, the stabbing somebody, this was a war that Phineas did. In fact, uh, Phineas, I believe my brother Rico is called Phineas the priest of war that there was something that very violent and had to go to battle to do this, uh, to, uh, to do what Phineas did, yet he was a priest and, and that there, there's, a, there's a battle being fought here by Phineas. So let's talk about the armor of God, which you could probably say, and you'd like, look, the, Phineas was girded with these pieces of armor, the, the spiritual armor that he needed to go and do what he did. So let's read here, beginning at verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, with, be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, knowing our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's against the, the, the spirits and the enemy of the Lord. And Phineas knew this. This is what the sin was doing. This is what he was bringing into the camp. It was a spiritual battle, not just a physical one with flesh and blood. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace, covenant of peace. There, there's a connection there to Phineas, of course. Above all, taking up the shield of faith, with which, uh, um, with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the hem helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This is the spiritual battle that we have to do. We put on this armor, and then our prayer is sometimes the, the, the weapon of war, the thing that we use, that supplication that we submit to God to fight our battles for us. This is kind of tied into the, to the armor of God. But verse 19, hear this. And for me, this is Paul speaking, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is Paul, and I, what we believe is that he was in prison at the time writing this to the Ephesians, and that he is speaking, and when he writes, he writes with this boldness to speak of these things. Again, there's that boldness, there's that confidence that we need. And this is sort of, the, this is part of the, the, the ministering, the teaching, the, the education to all believers. 
that, you know, we got to sometimes have that boldness to speak, even when we feel like maybe we don't even have a position to speak. An ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador to God, yet I am chained. I'm in prison right now. I am in a physical uh, prison that yet I represent God in this place. Well, you know what I do is I do what I can do. I speak boldly. Paul writing these letters, sending them out, getting these letters out so that the information, so that the word could be spoken boldly and to minister to the people, to the brethren, There's what, who needs to hear it. And he opens his mouth boldly. Have you ever heard, or um, you might know this, what is the meaning of Phineas's name? The meaning of Phineas's name is kind of strange. It's kind of, kind of strange. It's broken up into a couple of different words, Hebrew words, trying to ascertain what, what it is. The, the first meaning is mouth, that the word mouth has something to do with Phineas because the pe, it means mouth, the first part of his name. And then uh, the last part, Phineas or Nahash, is sometimes related to, it's translated two different ways. One is brass or copper. And so sometimes the meaning that you might look it up, uh, the meaning of the name Phineas means mouth of brass which is kind of strange, kind of weird. Okay, what, what do we know about brass? Okay, it's strong. It's, it's, it's a metal. It's, 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 it's got some strength to it. So, so when Phineas spoke, it had strength to it. Or brass is also what is symbols are made out of and that the, the clanging, there's this loudness, there's this strength to what he says. The thing that's fascinating in the juxtaposition of all of this is that Phineas didn't say much when he did what he did. He took the javelin, he went and did it. It doesn't say that he said anything. Now, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but the boldness of what he did was not lip service of what he said, but it's what he did. The actions are where the strength of what he did was. So we don't talk about a mouth of brass. It's not that his mouth was a clanging symbol, but it had, there's some power behind it. The other translation for Nahash, rather than being brass, is actually serpent. Mouth of a serpent is also sometimes what's believed to actually be the meaning of Phineas's name. Mouth of a serpent. Okay, that's different. It's not that a mouth speaks loudly like a clanging cymbal and, and the, the bravado and the boldness of his speech is, where, is what you commend Phineas for. But instead, it's like the mouth of a serpent. Remember that surgical strike that I kind of described in him? See, that's what a serpent does. Serpent, when it strikes, it does so silently quickly, swiftly. It can happen so fast, you didn't even know it was coming. Mouth of a serpent. That's what Phineas did. It was not about what he said. It was not this boldness of speech that he had, but it was this boldness, this swiftness, and this ability to silently strike what needs to be struck. Now, you might say about a serpent, serpent represents Masatan, the adversary and things like that. Yeah, but serpent was also the thing that was, you know, made of bronze, put on a pole and brought life to the people when they looked upon it. As the Messiah said, when I'm raised up like the serpent in, in the wilderness by Moses, then you will see I am. Then you will see the Son of God and you will see and life will, will be given to you. So that serpent Yes, represents certain things in Scripture, but it also represents sometimes that means by which life is given and death is halted. Mouth of a serpent. That's what Phineas did. It was bold. It, was, it, was, it, was, it would have been an incredible sight to see. But anyone who saw it and then saw what happened afterwards would know 
that death had been stopped and that life, so that life could continue. That's what the Messiah did for us, and that's what Phineas did for the children of Israel in the wilderness at the end of the 40 years to put a halt to the plague. What an incredible uh, parallel that is, of course, to, to Phineas and what that represents. May we aspire, may we learn from him, aspire to be like him, not to be another Phineas, but to understand the boldness, the confidence, and, and the surgical precision we might need sometimes to put a halt to sin that is in our midst and to uh, bring life to the congregation and the whole household of Israel that we find ourselves in. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the blessing of this teaching, this instruction. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened as we read the stories of old, Lord, from uh, whoever we might be reading about, Lord, whether that's Joshua or Moses or King David or the, the Messiah or Phineas, Lord. Father, may the testimonies of what we read minister to us, strengthen us, encourage us in our walk, in our most holy faith. Father, as we uh, read about these, these great men, Lord, and we, we know the, these men were not perfect. There's only one that was perfect, Lord, and that was the Messiah himself. But Father, I pray that we would always be able to glean what we need to learn from these stories. May, may we uh, do everything that we must in our own lives, Lord, that when we give an account to you, that we take the good with the bad, that we do what was right in your eyes, Lord. And Father, we, we, we might not do it perfectly every time, Father, but may we still have the confidence. May we not be timid or shy to do what we feel is necessary, Lord, within your body, within, within the body of believers, Lord, to, to speak boldly, to do what is necessary, Lord, so that life may continue to prosper in your household and in your life. Father, may, may every congregation we find ourselves in be a household of faith, a household of worship, Lord, that is, uh, that is worthy of you, Lord, and is not one that is necessary of being overturned or to, to be whipped away, Father, that, uh, that the people, Lord, would come humbly before you, worship you, submit to you, and be led by your Holy Spirit in all things. So, Father, we thank you for this encouragement, this teaching this week. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.